Thank you for listening to the One City Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. Connect to God, connect with people in order to find hope. The vision statement of our church for 2021. We shared with you last Sunday, number one, we need to connect to God. A new revelation of who he is so we can have a new revelation of who we are as sons of God. Number two, we spoke of connecting with people and that there's power in our partnership. We're better together than we are alone. And then we spoke of finding hope, that there is a pathway to hope and that the church is the answer. The government will do all that it can do, but it cannot change the human heart. Only the church, through the preaching of the gospel, can bring about transformation in people's lives. And only the church can give them hope. There is a phrase, it's a Latin phrase, that says post hoc ergo propter hoc. Now this Latin phrase just simply means after this, therefore because of this. It has to do with cause and effect. After this, therefore because of this. And I use that this morning just to remind all of us that we cannot connect with people without first connecting with God. The reason I believe so many of our relationships are broken with one another is because our relationship with our Father in heaven is broken. But when you get this right, this seems to fall in place. And so we've got to first connect to God, then we can connect with people, and then we find hope in our society. Ah, after this, therefore because of this. The psychologist Barbara Fredrickson said this, when two people share positive emotions, even though it's momentary, there is a a synchronization that takes place between their biochemistry and their behavior, which can result in mutual connection and investment in each other's well-being. Just a moment that when you connect with somebody, on an emotional, mental, uh, spiritual level. When there is a connection, there is something that happens between those two people. It's an investment in one another. She calls these micro moments of connection, just a micro moment where I connect with you, you connect with me, and there's something that happens between the two of us. It's spiritual, it's emotional, it's mental. There's a connection that happens and it brings a benefit to both of us. Now we find this in the scriptures in Luke 24, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they encountered the Christ. They did not recognize him at first, but they were connecting and they were sharing this micro moment. And it says, didn't our hearts burn with the flames of holy passion while we walked beside him? A moment of connection, a micro moment where you connect with somebody. And that's what people are hungry for. That's what people are starving for right now is connectivity, to have someone they can connect with. We made this statement last Sunday, horizontal connection releases vertical power. When we connect here as a group, it releases the power of God vertically. We understand the importance of unity within the church. Diversity demands unity, and unity allows for diversity. We're able to gather here this morning, black, white, and brown. 
male, female. We're able to gather in this room with all of the diversity of this church. And we're able to do that because of the power of unity. It tears down walls and it does bring us together. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. I'll read it out of the Passion Bible. You'll see it on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 and 20. Again, Jesus speaking said, I give you an eternal truth. If two of you agree to ask God for something in a symphony, say symphony. Symphony, symphony of prayer. My heavenly father will do it for you. For wherever two or three come together in honor of my name, I am right there with them. Two or more creating a symphony and power is released. Let's call this the symphonic sound of unity. Father, bless the reading of your word. May we as your people discover true unity in Christ and come together with horizontal connections so we can experience the vertical power that comes from heaven. We prayed in Christ's name and everybody said, amen, amen. Three points this morning. Number one, the power of place. Now, we're going back for just a moment to recap on something that I preached here many years ago when I spoke about the power of place. But let me just remind you, never allow present circumstances to overshadow future placement. Never allow where you are right now to discourage you and to cause you to lose hope for where you will be one day, your future placement. Genesis 40 and verse 23 Joseph in the prison, you remember the story. I don't have time to take you through it, but you remember Joseph and the journey from the prison to the palace. But it says here in verse 23, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. You remember in the prison, he said to this chief butler, remember me when you come out of here. Remember what I did for you and in interpreting your dream. But the butler forgot him. You see, you have to be, you have to know this morning that men may overlook you, but God will never forget you. Never forget you. When you're in that prison and you feel like men have overlooked me, just hold on guys, because God will never forget you. Promotion comes from the Lord. And just be reminded that the spirit of prophecy will take you from where you are to where God needs you to be. I don't care what the butler does. I don't care what the cupbearer does. I don't care what Pharaoh does. I don't care what your brothers may do. They may give up on you. They may sell you into slavery. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you that the spirit of prophecy, the dream that God put down inside of you as he did with Joseph, that dream will carry you where God needs you to be. Just hold on. In Genesis 45 and verse 8, so you see. It wasn't you, Joseph, speaking to his brothers. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He set me in place as a father to Pharaoh, put me in charge of his personal affairs, and made me ruler of all of Egypt. Guys, leave that on the screen for just a moment. Number one, you need to know, as in the scripture, you didn't send me here, but God, you need to know your circumstances are setting you up for success. 
You may have been sold into, uh, you may have been thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, lied upon by Potiphar's wife, put in prison, but you've got to believe that your circumstances are setting you up for success. Now that is hard. That's a hard pill to swallow, to think that while I'm in prison, that God is setting me up. As Potiphar's wife is lying on me, God is setting me up. When I'm in the pit and my brothers have forsaken me, my God is setting me up. I'm telling you where you are is setting you up for success. You've got to hold on. Second thing, talk about the power of place. You've got to see here in this same scripture. You got it up there, guys. Put it back. Put it back. Put it back. Number two, God had to transform the dreamer boy into the dream interpreter man. Wow. It said, in, it said in Genesis that He set me in place as a father for this man, Joseph, to be a father to the nation, he had to go into the pit, be lied upon by Potiphar's wife, go into prison. The journey is as important. The journey, the process is as important as the destination. God was transforming a dreamer boy who told his dream to his brothers and bragging about it, bragging about it and saying, you know, God's going to use me. One day you guys are going to bow before me. And he's just a boy and he's a dreamer and he's telling his story. God had to break that down and break that out of him and move him into a place of a man that now is not a dreamer, but he's an interpreter of dreams. It's not about his dream. Mm, it's about your dream. That's the difference between a boy and a man, between a follower and a leader. A, a follower will talk about their dream, but a leader, they worry about your dream. You see, a follower is what can you do for me, but a leader is what can I do for you. You see, that's the difference between a boy and a father. And Joseph was able to sit on the throne, second to Pharaoh, and be a father to the nations of the earth because of the process yes, yes. that he went through. You see, in our day today, the apostolic is all messed up because we've got it all messed up in our head where apostles are people that demand to be served. But in God's kingdom, an apostle is one that lays down his life for others. The Bible makes it clear that apostles and prophets gave their lives for others. And that's what it means to be a leader. It's inverted in the kingdom. It's not how high you get, it's how low you become. That's what makes the difference. That's real leadership. That's the requirement of the day. We need men and women of God who will lay down their lives for others. Oh, we could preach on the power of place. But we got to go. We got to go. The power of place. You see, there is a power connection when person meets place. Genesis 41, 57. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. The right man and the right place releases supernatural provisions for others. Listen to me. The right man and the right place releases supernatural provisions for others. You've got to take your place. You've got to take your place. It's not for you, it's for others. 
Joseph, we need you, son, to take your place. Joseph, hold on through the betrayal, the lying, the imprisonment. Hold on. When men overlook you, God won't forget you. Hold on, Joseph. We need you, son, to take your place. Because when the right man gets in the right place, there's supernatural provision for all those around him or her. We need you this morning to take your place. Never underestimate the power and the possibilities of your place. As we preached here a few weeks ago, ordinary people doing ordinary things with courage results in extraordinary results. You've got to take your place. Right person, right plan, right place equals power. Second point. Everyone finding their place within the church. One City Church Symphony. That's what we're talking about. We read in our text in Matthew 18, if we come together and we pray as a symphony in unison together, if there's a harmony, he said, there's nothing you can't do. That's why the enemy fights unity so hard because he, under, he understands the potential and the possibilities of unity. He knows what we can do if we ever find it. A symphony. You see, that's why there are fault lines of relationship, fault lines, breakups, division, strife, because the spirit of offense can replace the weightiness of his glory. Listen, Ezekiel 33. Our offenses and sins weigh us down and we're wasting away because of them. How then can we live? I've gone into churches before as a minister, travel and preach. I've gone into churches before and walk in and stand on the platform and go, there's something wrong in this house. It's not the weightiness of his presence, but it's the weightiness of an offense that I feel. A weightiness between brothers and sisters. A weightiness between leadership and parishioners. A weightiness. Our fences are weighing us down. How can we live? We can't have life when there's the weightiness of an offense. That's why we have no right to be offended with one another. Will there be offenses? Yes, there will be. Will there be disagreements? Yes, there will be. But we have to work those things out for the sake of others. That's why in America, our churches are so, are so ripped apart and we move from church to church to church, never addressing our fences, leaving with unfinished business and not closing out the chapter. And we carry that offense to the next church and we carry that weightiness with us. And our churches are unhealthy and they're dysfunctional because the family is dysfunctional. Because we've never learned how to deal with the offense. Listen to this, Psalms 133 and the passion again. How truly wonderful and delightful to see brothers and sisters living together in sweet unity. It's as precious as the sacred scented oil flowing from the head of the high priest Aaron, dripping down upon his beard and running all the way down to the helm of the priestly garment. Remember that. 
This heavenly harmony of this symphony can be compared to the dew dripping down from the skies upon Mount Hermon, refreshing the mountain slopes of Israel. From this realm of sweet harmony, God releases eternal blessings and the promise of life forever. And that's what we all want, blessings in life. And it flows from the unity upon Mount Hermon. But I want you to, I want you to notice something here. It talks about this anointing oil that is flowing down. You see, just maybe, perhaps the key to revival, the unifying of the church, just perhaps the key to that is someone climbing Mount Hermon and drinking the dew of harmony. It starts with the individual climbing that mountain, drinking from that dew of harmony and bringing it to the church. You see, he said the flow of anointing begins with the head flowing down to the hem of his garment, the place of contact with people, right? Remember the woman of the issue of blood, if I can but touch the hem of his garment? It starts on the head and it flows down through the body into the place of concentration where people that have issues can come into the church and touch the hem. Do you understand how important it is now? Unity flowing down the head, through the body, to the hem of concentration so people can touch. That's why there has to be unity in the church. And that's why whenever we get out, we, when we break protocol and we don't understand spiritual authority, whenever you put your member above the head, you cut yourself off from the anointing. My hands up here and the oil flows down. It doesn't flow back up. It flows down to the hem. That's why it's so important that we understand authority, that we work together, we stay connected because when you put yourself above headship, you cut yourself off from the anointing. Now, either that's true or it's not. Either we believe it or we don't. How many believes that God flows through, through delegated authority? Amen? You believe that? So when I rebel and I put my hand up, suddenly I cut myself off from the anointing. That's why I speak so much about authority. And I work so hard to be submissive to authority. Because I don't want to get cut off from my anointing. I don't want to lose the anointing of God on my life because it's imperative that I be anointed so that other people can find the anointing in the hem of his garment. And everybody said, amen. amen. We're talking about horizontal relationships and vertical power. Horizontal connection releases vertical power. We know that. So your strength is in your connections. You're one connection, perhaps from a miracle. Your, your, your strength is in your connections. When you connect with people, you never know what that person has that may meet a need in your life. That's why you need to stay connected. And that's why Satan is trying so hard to break your connections. Matthew 18. How many remembers Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20? He said, if you have an offense with a brother, and it's just between the two of you, okay? Okay. 
He said, go to him and try to make it right. Everybody remembers that story? If it doesn't work between you and him, go with somebody else. If that doesn't work, take him before the church. If that doesn't work, then okay. But what was ironic here, I found so amazing, is connected to that was the story of our text. I tell you, if two of you agree on anything, it can be done. Okay? So we start out with an offense. We start out with the process of how to deal with the offense, and then we end up with the power of agreement. Are we all together? Yes. It's amazing. I never saw that before. I, didn't, I just never saw it. So perhaps your greatest partner, verse 15, between the two of you, perhaps your greatest partner in prayer is a relationship that's been restored from an offense. You start out, if you're offended, work it out. Then he ended up by saying, and if two of you agree on anything, there's nothing you can't do together. Is it possible that my greatest prayer partner is a relationship that's been broken over an offense, but then it's been restored? Because in in order for that relationship to be restored, it requires humility on both parts. You see, in an argument, it gets to the point where it no longer matters who's right and who's wrong. What matters is unity. And so we understand in order for a relationship that's been broken to be restored, somebody's got to reach out a hand. Somebody's got to humble themselves. Are you with me? You see, perhaps my greatest prayer partner in verse 19 is the one that was offended with me in verse 15. And we come back together and suddenly there's a, a, a humility, there's a brokenness, and I value the relationship with my sister or my brother above being right. And suddenly there's a connection that takes place and we go beyond our, we go beyond this world and suddenly we're able to touch heaven. And he said, anything is possible. Perhaps, just perhaps. Let me talk to you for just a minute about the power synergy. The power of synergy. In Matthew 18, he talked about agreeing together. As you know, the word agree is the word in Greek, symphonio. It means sun together and phone sound. The ideal being in sound together or in harmony. That's where we get our English word symphony. So you see, Unity is not uniformity, nor is harmony sameness. Because in a symphony, there are stringed instruments, there are, key, there are keys, there's drums, but yet there's a harmony to a symphony. But that doesn't mean sameness. You see, they're different. You see, unity permits, permits diversity and diversity demands unity. So a stringed instrument can be in harmony with keys, even though there's a great difference between the two. Genesis 11 verse six reads, God took one look and said of the Tower of Babel people, one people, one language, why this is only a first step. No telling what they'll come up with next. They'll stop at nothing. 
You see, the first step to unlimited possibilities begins with unity. That's the first step. We talk a lot here at One City Church about a move of God. Whether it's just a local expression or international experience, we want a move of God in our church, amen? We want it every Sunday for Holy Spirit to move. I can tell you the first step to unlimited possibility is unity. We talk about building a great church that can transform our region, whether it's through One City Cares or uh, Not In My City or Sex Trafficking or the Dream Center or, or the multiple of things we do. United Aid of Southeast Texas, we're still, you saw in the back, the trailers, we're still from this campus doing flood relief in Southeast Texas or me serving on city council. We have committed ourselves to bringing about transformation in people's lives. And we need power to accomplish that. That begins with unity. That's why 2020 has so disturbed me. Because it has fractured the churches in America. And my heart is heavy. Because we need a move of God. But it begins with unity. The first step. My third point, let's talk about a symphonic sound. We've talked about the power of place. Every man, every woman taking their, 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 their place. We've talked about this symphony, this symphony of the church coming together. Let me talk to you about this symphonic sound that comes out of that power of agreement. You see today, Cities are tightly shut up across the nation because of the disunity among God's people and the churches. We're all broken, broken up across the nation. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 reads this way. You know the story of Joshua crossing the Jordan, the very beginning of the conquest of Canaan, he comes up to overlook the walls of Jericho. And he encounters an angelic being. Now, Joshua impresses me because he walks up on this angelic being and he draws his sword. He's like, pick a fight. He'll pick a fight with you. This boy is bad. I mean, who pulls a sword on an angel? But he pulls a sword on him. That's, that's the kind of men and women you need in a church. That when a pastor stands up to take on sex trafficking or drug addiction or homelessness or the mountain of government or seeing people saved and healed and delivered and revived, I, I need some guys that will draw a sword even on an angel. Just draw a sword. And he asked this guy, he asked this angel, are you for us or for our enemies? And he's thinking, you, you, you for me, you for them. He's like, I'm fixing a, I'm fixing a throw down on you. And the angel said, neither. Then he said, take off your sandals for the place. And it's not a geographical location. The place where you're standing is holy. In the midst of this pandemic, last year with the pandemic 
the rioting in the streets, the presidential election, and now 2021 and all that's taking place and all the division that's in our country, I just want to remind everyone here, whatever side you fall on, whatever side you fall on arguments, whatever you fall on, know this, as with Joshua, you may ask the question, whose side are you on? Know this, God does not take sides. He maintains a position of righteousness that we must align ourselves with. I cannot say, well, are you on my side? Mm -mm. You got to say, Father, I'll get on your side. I'll stand for righteousness. I'll stand for truth. I'll stand for justice. But you cannot boil this down to it's us and them. You got to boil this down to what's right and wrong, righteousness. I will align myself with my father. How many understands that everybody is wrong and everybody's right, everybody's broken? Everybody needs some help, amen? I have to align myself with righteousness. That's why I've said to you repeatedly, in our taking a righteous stand, let's don't lose our righteousness. Because if you hate your brother, you've sinned against your God. So when you draw your sword and you're ready to fight, pause for just a moment and don't ask the question, are you on my side or theirs? But ask the question, how can I align myself with you, Father? A righteous stand. You need to know to take a stand with God. How many wants to take a righteous stand? I do. I want to take a righteous stand, whether it's in the pandemic, the rioting in the streets, the presidential election. I want to stand for righteousness. I want to stand with God. Everybody says amen. Amen. Well, that begins with humility. Because the captain of the Lord's host said to that fighting warrior Joshua, he says, son, I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. You got to get on my side. And if you're going to stand with me, you'll have to first stand in humility. Take off your shoes. Because taking off your sandals during this time was a sign of humility, reverence, and servanthood. I'll serve. So you see, your ability to create unity is directly related to your ability to be a servant. If you can't humble yourself, if you can't prefer your brother before yourself, you'll never be a bridge builder you'll never bring people together. If you dig your heels in and you refuse to be clothed with humility, you'll never get it done. Joshua 6, when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. So every man charged straight in and they took the city. So here we go. There is no wall that can't be knocked down No city that we cannot take with the symphonic sound of unity. As the people marched around the walls of Jericho, they had to submit to God's plan. They had to restrain themselves. They had to humble themselves. You understand, these were fighting men. Joshua drew his sword on an angel and was getting ready to fight him. So these guys were, these were not Boy Scouts. These were men of war. And when, when Joshua went to them and said, hey guys, I've got a plan on taking the city. Excellent. 
they're thinking swords and shields and arrows and storm the gates. And there's going to be, man, this is going to be great. We got a plan. Our leaders got a plan. He said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to march around the city and we're not going to say one word for seven days. Can you imagine the taunting that took place from the top of the walls? They looked at them guys from the walls of Jericho and they they just made fun of them. They laughed at them. They laughed, threw rocks at them probably, threw fruit at them. Can you imagine the humiliation of these fighting men and they had to submit to their leader and humble themselves and march around the walls of Jericho and they couldn't do one thing until God gave them the word. Can you imagine that? But they stood there in humility and they took the verbal abuse. And from that unity, a symphonic sound, the symphonic sound of unity, the walls came down and they charged in and took the city. There is nothing we can't do. Unity is the catalyst for church revival and city transformation. It is the catalyst. Unity is the catalyst. Everybody talks about what's the spark for revival? Unity. Unity begins there. Catalyst is something that triggers or initiates significant change when it comes in contact with other things. Unity. The unity of Acts chapter 2, the Bible says they were all together was the catalyst for heaven suddenly. There was a sound from heaven. A sound. Unity. Unity. 120 people that came to a place of unity, humility. Think about it. I've never been more concerned about the church than I am in this hour. Our church, the national church. I got saved August the 3rd, 1975. I've never had a greater concern for the church than I do today. Because what I hear across this nation is not harmony, unity, the symphonic sound that can knock down walls and we can storm our cities and take them for God, what I hear is a lot of noise. A lot of noise. Brother against brother, sister against sister. My heart is heavy. The symphonic sound of the church will cause the walls of our community to collapse. Acts chapter two, there were Jews from every nation When they heard this sound, a crowd came together because each one heard them speaking in his own language. You see, our cities will come when they hear multiple language spoken as one. In Acts chapter two, in Acts chapter two, it said, when they heard the sound, a crowd came together because there were multiple languages. They were speaking, but yet, They were all saying the same thing. Multiple languages, but yet there was a harmony. Multiple languages, and yet there was a symphonic sound of unity. Multiple languages. And out of that came revival. 
2 Corinthians 10. Our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. Our unity in praise, our unity in prayer, our unity in purpose is our greatest weapon. Our greatest weapon. That is the weapon that will knock down walls. As we take a righteous stand, but we do so with humility. As we take a righteous stand and we don't align ourselves here, but we align ourselves here first with Him. Are you on my side or their side? Neither, my son, but you've got to bring yourself in alignment with me. Take off your shoes, humble yourself. Okay, when I do this, when I connect first to Him, then I'm able to connect here in a healthy way. Then we're able to march upon our city with humility and brokenness, serving one another. And then we're able to see walls come down and we're able to storm the gates and take our city. And we're able to to rescue girls from sex trafficking. We're able to rescue men and women from drug addiction, alcoholism, and abuse. And it's then that we're able to accomplish, as Jesus did, to destroy the works of the enemy, our greatest weapon is our unity. David, come help me. But the problem is, is that there's an empty chair. The unity of diversity is the catalyst of revival. John chapter 20, verse 22 said, and with that, he breathed on the disciples. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The word breathe there in the Greek means blow in, infuse. In classical Greek, it signified blowing in as was done in playing a flute or a wind instrument. He breathed into them. He breathed into them. That's why I said earlier, we're all right, we're all wrong, we're all broken. But as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the fractured soul of a man or a woman becomes an artistic chamber like a wind instrument through which the breath of God passes, creating a unique sound that only that soul can create. There are guys in the Dream Center that have been through things that I've never gone through. So when they're filled with the Spirit, that wind blows through them and out of their fractured lives, there's a sound comes that's unique only to them. I can't make that sound. A flute can't sound like a, like a trombone. And a trombone can't sound like a saxophone. Because they're all broken different. The holes are in different places. They're fractured different. There's a sound that I have as a preacher. There's a sound that I have. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to be hurt. I know what it's like to have the kiss of Judas. I know what it's like to be lied upon. I know what it's like. I know what it's like as a preacher. So I can go to a conference and stand before ministers and I can let Holy Spirit breathe through me. 
And through my fractured life, there comes a sound that only a preacher can make. Harvest House, there are young girls that are going to be rescued out of sex trafficking. And they'll be able to stand up one day and turn a story into a testimony. And through their fractured soul, there comes a sound that only they can make, that no one else can make. That's why you've got to understand that you are uniquely made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And God takes all of your fractured life and your brokenness, your fractured soul, and he uses it to bring glory to his name. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. All together, all were filled, all spoke languages that were all different. So perhaps the sound of revival is the sound of brokenness. Just maybe. So I want to ask you. What is the sound that your fractured soul makes when the wind of the Spirit passes through it? What is it? Acts chapter 1, verse 17 and then 21 reads this way. Judas was one of us and had his assigned place in this ministry. He must now be replaced. There was an empty chair that had to be filled before revival could come because it said they were all together, they were all filled, and they all spoke a language. So I want to ask you, are you in your place? They were all together. They were all filled. They all spoke, spoke a language, the empty chair. Have you taken your chair? See, we talk a lot about wanting revival, but you've got to quit waiting for something to happen to you. And you've got to become a revival yourself. You've got to quit waiting for something to happen to you, and you've got to have something happen in you. I don't bring revival here in my briefcase. You got to take your chair. You got to take your seat. If you don't like something about your church, then you change it by beginning with a change in you. Change begins with you, change begins with me. And everybody said amen. It starts here. Have you taken your chair? Have you taken your place? I'm asking the question. Where are you? So, unified diversity creates unlimited possibilities. Rather, it's on the keys, on the drums, or on the strings. All different, yet all the same. 
because of the harmony. It's a symphony. And it releases a symphonic sound that can make walls fall down and cities are taken. The unity of diversity, black, white, brown, the unity of diversity allows us to experience unlimited possibilities. Thank you for listening to the One City Church podcast. For more information about our church, visit onecity.church.